Now, he grew up to be a young man and must have been respected in some way because when Jesus chose His 12 disciples, who He would identify as His 12 apostles, Jehovah Leeds was one of them. Yahweh Leeds was selected. And not only was He selected to be one of the 12, but Yahweh Leeds, or Jehovah Leeds, or as they would have said then, Judas, Judas was put in charge of the money bank. So when the twelve traveling disciples and Jesus, when they would go around the countryside, people would bring them money. They'd bring them goods because they knew He was a traveling rabbi, a traveling teacher. And they would hear His message and they'd want to support Him, so they would give Him offerings. And they would gather all that up together and they would give it to Judas. And Judas would carry the money for Jesus and the twelve. And when there was a need, there was a purchase that had to be made, none of the the twelve had to worry. Nobody had to worry about it. Judas has got it taken care of. Got to buy some food? Where's Judas? Judas, come here. Can you take care of this for us? And Judas would do that. Judas was seen as a man of integrity. He must have been the most trusted of the twelve. I'm sure that if we saw their resumes, we would identify Judas as the one to most likely take over after Jesus ascended to be with the Father. You say, why do you think that? Well, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. You'll recognize this is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus here is in the upper room with the followers. It's the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I'm in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 for now. And hear what it says. Now on the first day of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus. And they said, where will you have us prepare for the eat, to eat the, fast, the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just as they were directed and prepared the Passover. So they're in, the, in this room having this meal. Can you, can you picture it? Jesus in the twelve. John chapter 14, 15, well, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 describe this in more detail. There's a lot of teaching that goes on here. This is a very intimate moment between Jesus and His disciples. I think they finally get it. He's been telling them for three years He's going to die, He's going to be killed, and be resurrected. And on this night, I think they, they, they understand it. They get it. Finally. Completely. It's an intimate moment. It's, a, it's Jesus and the twelve. It's Him and His best friends. He's telling them, I'm going to depart. I'm leaving. Verse 20. When it was evening, He reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, I, I tell you, I've been in these moments. When you're all together and you're tired, like our missions team will go through this this evening. They're going to have a full day today. And tonight, Shannon will make them a meal. Okay? And they'll all sit down. And, and if you haven't been there, 
You need to be. I'm telling you, there's something special about that moment. You're all there eating together. You're talking about the day. The leader in our situation, Pastor Billy now, will, will speak into their lives. He'll, te- he'll talk about what he's seen that day. He'll encourage them. He'll challenge them. It's an awesome experience. It just is. And that's what's going on. And as they're eating, Jesus says this, and I'm telling you, they were shocked. He says, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the four Gospels describe this moment. And Matthew says it this way, and they were very sorrowful. And they began to say to him and to one another, Is it me? Is it I, Lord? Now understand what just happened. Jesus has told the twelve, one of you is going to betray me. You're going to turn me over to the Roman authorities. I've told you tonight I'm going to die and it will be by your hand. You will be my traitor. One of you. And it strikes me that eleven of them Eleven of them now are so convinced that it cannot be Judas that they more likely will accuse themselves. You get that? They're looking around the room. There's Simon. Maybe him, yeah. Matthew, definitely. Tax collector, accountant type, probably. Okay? Probably was him. Sorry, buddy. Simon the Zealot, you know, Peter, John, they're they're looking around the room. I see them ticking around the room. They get to Judas. No, can't be, it's got to be me. Can't be Judas, it's got to be me. And they're saying, is it me? Then Jesus answered their question. He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray Him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? There's a little bit of a challenge here. And Jesus said, You've said so. Now the question comes to my mind, how did Judas ever get here how did, how did Yahweh Leeds or Jehovah Leeds get to that place where he would betray his Savior, his friend, his God? What brings us to the place where we will violate everything that we want to be true of ourselves? How do we get to that point? How do we get to the point where we would do the very thing that before that moment we would never believe we would ever do that? How do we get there? How do you and I get to that place where we will abandon the thing that is true of us, where we will violate our own selves and violate God? I want to talk about that today as we've been in a series on Ten Commandments. And I've got to tell you, when I decided you know, months ago that we would work through the Ten Commandments, I was not prepared for how heavy-hitting this has been for me and for you. 
The Ten Commandments is a lot of law, obviously. And, and in it, you are, if you aren't careful, you can be overwhelmed because there's no hope. There's no, there seems to be no help. It just seems to be over and over and again, I'm aware of my inadequacy. I'm aware of how much I fall short. And today we're going to talk about one of the Ten Commandments, the eighth one, do not steal. And I know what we all think. We all think, well, I, I don't do that. I, I don't steal. Really? I just want to, I want to warn you, we, we're all guilty of this command. We all stand in need of a Savior. I mean, all week, every week, I read this Bible. That's what I'm paid to do in some ways, you think. I know. But I spend a lot of time studying this and I'm, I'm convinced more and more and more of my own inadequacy. I don't become convinced that I'm a good guy. I don't become convinced that I've got it all together. I don't become convinced that I'm on the good team. I become more and more convinced of the need for God's grace in my life and in our lives and God's goodness to us. Before we go any further in our, in our opening up of God's Word, I, I want to spend some time in prayer with you. I want us to pray. I want us to pray that God will reveal to us today truth about us and truth about Him. And I want to guide us as a congregation to go to the Lord together in prayer. As we, as we go to God's Word, here's my desire for us. That we would recognize we recognize how short it is that we fall. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we would recognize that again this morning. And then secondly, that we would recognize that God is the source of any strength, of any hope, of any love, of any good, is God. Through His Son, Jesus, and through His Spirit. So let's use that as a guide in our prayer together. Alright? Let's go to the Lord. Father in Heaven, Lord, we all fall short of Your glory. It is obvious to us, Lord. We pray Your Spirit would come now and do what You promised us when You were in that upper room. That You would convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. You told us Your Spirit would do that. So Lord, as a body now, we are asking You to do that in our hearts now. Sin. Righteousness. Judgment. God, thank You that You don't leave us there. That like a father, You come and save. And Lord, You have made us Your children. You have adopted us as Your own. In love, through Your Son, You have brought us to You. Lord, we thank You for that. We worship You for that. We remember what You did to make us right with You. 
And now, Lord, we ask You to speak to our hearts. Find any wicked way in us. Root it out. Open our hearts to Your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we've been walking through the Ten Commandments. We're on commandment number 8 now. Go ahead and find in your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to start there. We're going to move quickly though. I only get two words in Exodus chapter 20. Two words. That's all I literally get is two words from Exodus 20. So we're going, to, we're going to expand it from there to understand what God's full counsel is about this issue of stealing. So let's just read for just a moment. Let's read verses 12 and, and following and see the second half of the Ten Commandments. Verse 12 of Exodus 20 says this, <coughs> Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, this is the back half of the Ten Commandments. The back half of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to focus specifically today on number 8. But when you look at verses, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, which represent commandments 7, 8, 9, and 10, I see a theme here that I want to just point out to you. I see a theme in these commandments a, a, a trend that is going through in, in each of these commandments. We have that, that you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, and you shall not covet. As I've already shared with you, several of these are just two words. Never murder. Never adultery. This one is never steal. It's just two words. But really when you think about them, what the, 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 the repeated theme we have in these last four commandments is a trust of God. God calls for us to trust Him. And when we drift into sin, when we move away from God, we are really displaying a lack of trust of God. A lack of trust of Him. I mean, think about it for a minute. You shall not commit adultery. And we, last week we talked about how that is not just... That, that Jesus broadened that to, to adultery in your mind. What is, how is this a lack of trust when a person strays from their marriage partner or strays from their singleness into sexual sin? How are they lacking trust at that, God, at that time? They're saying, God, I don't trust what you provided for me. You've not given me a spouse. You've not given me a, a, a wife or a husband, so I'm going to veer from that. And I'm going to find somebody else. Or, you are married and you drift away from that and commit adultery. It's a lack of trust. It's saying, God, I don't really trust the one that you've given me in marriage. I don't really trust your plan for me and my sexual life. And so we veer. Now, I know, okay, I'm not too stupid to realize that in the heat of that moment, okay, when adultery comes, I, I know in the heat of that moment, you're not sitting there thinking, hmm, God, will I trust you? That thought isn't in your mind at all. I know that. I know that. And that's why last week we talked about lust. We talked about adultery. We said a, a key at the end of Proverbs chapter 5 is a divine awareness. You must remind yourself of God. 
a divine awareness. If I, were, if I would remind myself of God in that moment, my lust can be quenched because I'll flee from it. But just look at the rest of them. You shall not steal. It's not trusting God in His provision. I should have had more, God. You should have given me this, God, and you didn't. So I'll take it. Never lie. Don't, don't bear false witness, actually, is what it says. But this is, this is not trusting God with the truth. Here's the truth. You are truth, but I'm not going to trust you there. i got a better idea. So I'll lie. And then the last one. Oh, I'm looking forward to talking about coveting. I'm looking forward to envy. I'm looking forward to dealing with that. The Tenth Commandment. And if you think about it, now what this is... You know what this means, right? It's seeing something and thinking, I would rather have that. I covet that. It's not trusting God for your joy. It's not trusting God for your joy. God, I would have more joy if I just had that thing. I would have more joy if I had that car. I would have more joy if I... Actually, it's more likely. I would have more joy if I had His car. Right? Right? Every single one of these last four is about a lack of trust. Particularly, maybe, stealing. I, had a, I have a good friend, and, and he was my best man at my wedding, and we've just, our lives have just done this over, over the years. And um, one of the things we did is we went in the, in the United States Army together, and we served in the same unit in Kingwood, West Virginia. And Gary was his name, and sometimes he listens. So this is you, buddy. Um, Gary is a horrible passenger seat rider, okay? You know what I'm talking about, right? Not really a back seat driver, but a side seat driver. Because this is what you do, Gary. This is what he does. You're riding down the road, okay? I'm riding down the road, and, and it's just starting to barely sprinkle, okay? It's starting to rain, okay? And I'm driving, and we're on our way to Kingwood, West Virginia. It's like a two-hour drive. And I'm driving, and I'm, you know, I'm riding down the road, so it's early in the morning, and all of a sudden I see this hairy arm reach across my steering wheel and turn on my windshield wipers. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, we're riding, and, then, and then, you know, rain slows down, and he turns over and t- reaches over and turns them off. You ever ride with somebody like this? He reaches over and controls the controls of my vehicle that I'm driving. I don't like this at all, okay? If you do this, you should stop. You should stop this because you're making people mad. Please don't change the radio station. Don't turn it up. Don't change the temperature. At least not when I'm driving, okay? Ask me and I'll do it very likely. But I got the wheel. I'm the pilot. I'm in control of the temperature. Except for my wife. She gets to, she gets to do this. Okay. So one day we're riding down the road down to Kingwood, Route Seven. If you know that road, it does this. Okay, and it's all—it's like a roller coaster. All right, and we're late, of course. So I was exceeding the speed limit. Okay, and I'm moving along pretty good. It's early in the morning. Okay, I barely got my eyes open. I'm flying down the road, and all of a sudden I see this same hairy arm reach across, like in a second. I mean, this was like. We said a tornado flood. This was a tornado moment, okay? He reaches over and grabs the steering wheel now and jerks it with all of his might, okay? And, and I'm driving. And all of a sudden, we are fishtailing now down Route 7. Now, he's not doing it anymore, of course. No, no, no. He's taking the moment off. 
I'm trying to get control of the car that he strips the, the move the steering wheel this way. I'm back and forth trying to get control. Fortunately, we did not wreck. Okay, I slam on the brake. I pull up. So I'm like, "What are you doing?" You know what he says? There was a squirrel getting ready to jump out in the road. A squirrel. Now, who cares about squirrels? Sorry, but they're a dime a dozen. Okay. And it was about to jump out in the road. So he sees the squirrel, can read its mind, and know what it's going to do. Oh, now, why did I tell that long, stupid story? What you do when you steal. It's exactly what we're doing. You're riding along in your life. You're living your life, and I know bills are due. Okay, late, you know, there's a late call, there's a, an envelope saying you're late on a bill. I get that. You got to buy groceries and the kids need braces and soccer is expensive. Okay, and you know, you, you, need, a, you need pens at your house and, and paper and paper clips. And you work really, really hard and your boss doesn't give you the, 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 you know, the, the feedback you deserve anyway. You don't make what you deserve anyway. So you can go ahead and take that stuff. And, and you worked longer hours last week anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and go on home. And they're never going to really know anyway. Nobody really checks on this stuff. Nobody really looks into this. I mean, the chance of me being audited, very slim. It doesn't happen. There's all these scenarios. And what we do is we look down the road and we see the squirrel. That really doesn't matter anyway. They're a dime a dozen. And we know what that squirrel's getting ready to do. We know that if I don't pay this or steal this to pay this, or I don't take this to do this, then you know, it's all going to fall apart. So we reach over and we grab the wheel. And in a second, we sell our integrity over a stupid squirrel in my illustration going too far. I ask you, what drives a thief? What drives a thief? What pushes... We're going to ask some questions about a thief today. Okay? What drives a thief? First of all, selfishness. Selfishness. I deserve that. I deserve that. Watch out for this one. And I understand it. I have a job that I work a lot of hours and I don't get paid on an hourly rate too. I understand that. I'm salary. I understand that. And there are some weeks that are very, very demanding. And it's very easy to feel like I don't get paid what I deserve anyway. And so people, one of the, one of the, biggest, one of the biggest reasons why, why, so, why a lot of businesses and, or corporations struggle is from employee theft. Because employees decide, I, I, des- I work hard, I deserve more, and so in their selfishness, they... They steal from their boss. It happens all the time. Secondly, I would say rebellion. Rebellion. You know, God, you didn't provide this for me. Or boss, you didn't provide this for me. So I'll just take it. But in reality, I'll tell you what really drives a thief is lovelessness. The lack of love. And here's what it says. A thief says this, You, the one who has, you, be it your boss with your time, 
be it your company with the supplies, be it your neighbor with the tool that you take, be it your friend that you borrowed their tool, okay? I've done it too. What we decide at that moment is I am more important than you. It's a lack of love. What drives a thief is a lack of love. And so we take what is not ours. Now, this is, I told you, I warned you at the start that when you deal with the Ten Commandments, it's law. But we're going to end with grace today. Okay? But we, we need, we've got to deal with the scab that's over top of our heart that prevents us from seeing our thieving heart. We've got to see our thieving heart because it keeps us from fellowship with God. So what I want to do now is a loving act. I want to, I want to love our church by peeling off the scab so that we can get, take this, this sword to God and restore our fellowship. All right, So we're going to go to another place in the law where this is developed a little bit more. Go into, go into Leviticus. Go into Leviticus chapter 6. And, and as you're going there, I'll tell you how the Torah, the first five books of your Old Testament, work. This is how the law works. Much of what you see in the end of Numbers and the book of Leviticus is a, a further explanation of the Ten Commandments. See, God gave His Ten Commandments, and we said earlier, this is God revealing who He is. This is God saying, this is what I'm like. Let me tell you what I'm like. And what He is like is He is like the Ten Commandments. There is no other God. We must worship Him correctly. We must not use His name in vain. We are to honor His, His creation and who He is. We are to honor our parents. We are not to murder. We are not to, to commit adultery. We are not to steal. We are not to lie. We are not to covet. So, so this is revealing who He is. But then a lot more of your, your Torah, the, the rest of your the Pentateuch, the first five books of your Old Testament, are further explaining that. Okay, they're further explaining that and sort of applying that in believers' lives. Go to Leviticus chapter 6 and you'll see what I mean. Leviticus chapter 6. We're going to read the first couple of verses here. Leviticus 6. Now we're going to see what defines a thief. We're going to define a thief now. We're going to understand what, what a thief is. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and He said this. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security. So we now have stealing. That's what this is. And what we're going to see here is God is going to reveal to Moses kind of four umbrellas or four categories of stealing. Okay? So we're, going to, we're, we're expanding our understanding of what it means to not steal into four categories. The first one, as I said, is a matter of deposit or security. That's one way that we can steal, in a matter of deposit or security. Or through robbery. Or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. And if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robber or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lossing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. 
I'll stop there. Stealing is now defined. God is going to define this. And the very first thing and maybe the most important thing we must see is in verse 2. Is that it is all about God. Verse 2. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against two, The Lord. The Lord. When I see that item and take it as mine, I'm not, I, I'm not breaking faith with that person. As a believer in Christ, as a follower of the Lord, I'm breaking faith with my God. Let me give you an example of this. Many of you know, I talk about it a lot, I drink a lot of McDonald's coffee. Okay? And, and one time I was at a McDonald's and I ordered my coffee and the person says to me, the, the person running the register, says, you know what? You come in here all the time. You just take it. I was like, hey, score. $1.58, man. I stopped. This was, one, this was a good moment. I'm going to share a bad moment with you in a little bit. This was a good moment. I put my hands on the, ta- on the counter that I said, listen, and I said her name and I know her. I said, I know you're just trying to say that we're friends. I know that. But you know what? That's not your coffee to give me. And it's not my $1.58 to take. So I really appreciate it, but you need to charge me. She's like, you're right. You're right. $1.58. You see, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Oh, come on, Lowe. Are, are you really going to be like that? It was $1.58. She was offered it to you for free. It wasn't hers to give. And I want to live that all of my money is God's. Right? I, I don't have anything. All my stuff is God's. He bought me with the price. I'm not even my own. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This isn't even mine. So who am I to decide that that $1.58 is mine and not hers or the owner's? Who am I to decide that? So I gave her the $1.58. All stealing is breaking faith with the Lord. With the Lord. And now it, we, we see some things here. Let's just look at them, okay? First of all, we've got a matter of deposit or security. This is embezzlement. This is embezzlement. That's, that's defined as the fraudulent appropriation of funds or property entrusted to your care, but actually owned by someone else. That day, she tried to embezzle. Okay? And I know it's only $1.58, but, but you know, it doesn't matter that it's small. Bernie Madoff, $50 billion through a Ponzi scheme. It's no different. No different. Okay? The, the transit employee of Canada, listen to this. He stole $375,000 working with his little boots. He stole $375,000 over seven years in quarters, nickels, and dimes, and they found it all in his house. Isn't that hilarious? In some ways. He embezzled this. Or, little Mickey McDonald. I don't know if you remember this story. My dad's here. I was in 4-H one time for about two weeks, okay? And I happened to show up at 4-H when we, they were selling M&Ms. You guys ever remember doing this? Okay? You got that box of chocolate and that box of peanut M&Ms. 
and you're supposed to sell them, I think, for 50 cents a box. Anybody else do this when you were a kid? Okay, good, good. I took this box home. I'm probably like maybe 10, 11, maybe 12 years old. I take this box of M&Ms home. I remember putting it in my closet in my bedroom, all right? And one, you know, I put them down, I'm going to sell them. I'm going to go up and down Limestone Road and sell all these M&Ms, right? Well, I go in, that, in the room one time, and I'm like, man, one of those M&Ms would be good. So I pulled out the box, opened that bad boy up, and oh, they were so sweet and so good. Oh, they were just, I mean, great. And I was like, you know what, if, if chocolate M&Ms are good, well, peanut M&Ms would be even better, right? So I had a box of peanut M&Ms. You know where this story is going. Over the next two, three, four weeks, I embezzled a full box of boxes of chocolate and peanut M&Ms. And reckoning day came, I had to go back to 4-H, and I was supposed to turn in, I think, it might have been $25, okay, for 50 boxes of M&Ms. Am I doing my math right? I don't have a penny. What do you do? I remember going to my parents and just breaking down in tears. I ate all the M&M's, you know, chocolate saliva running down my face, right? Whew. Bernie Madoff stole 150 million, no, 50 billion dollars, was sentenced to 150 years in prison. I stole 25 bucks and got sentenced to a pretty significant spanking, okay? I remember pretty clearly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because at that point, I'm dishonoring God when I embezzle. Let's just, let's just go quickly. Okay? The next one would be robbery. Okay? Or through robbery. This is what you take what belongs to another, typically with a threat of violence, would be robbery. Okay? When I sneak in someone's house and I take it. You know, it can be stick them up. It can be pick in a pocket. Okay? It can be there's no way that they'll know this is missing. That's robbery. If you keep going, it says, or if he has oppressed his neighbor. And so this is, this is extortion. This is when I have some way of manipulating my neighbor. I have a way of manipulating. I have some inside information or power in someone's life. And I use that inside information or that power for my financial gain. Okay? The, the, the extortion. That is your insider trading. That's price gouging. Okay? That is, that's when people brag about how I ripped this person off. They had no idea what they were selling and I got them. You gouged them. You had inside information. I sold that car and I didn't tell them what was going on. I knew to put, you know, Andy Griffith, I knew to put the sawdust in the oil so this would happen or whatever it was, right? I did that to cover it up. You used inside information and stole. And the last one is one that, that, that we all deal with has found something lost and lied about it. This is just by just plain old negligence. Negligence. Not fulfilling an obligation. Either willfully or accidentally. Willfully or accidentally. This is borrowing a tool and not returning it. It's stealing. It is. And I've done it. Okay? And I'm not saying that makes it right. I've sinned against my brother by borrowing a tool and keeping it for... A long time, Brock. I'm sorry, my friend. I publicly apologize. 
He's already forgiven me. But see, it's, it's dishonoring the Lord. Notice what it says in 4 and 5. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt, he will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lossing that he found or anything about which he sworn false. He shall restore it in full and shall give it a, add a fifth to it and give it to him whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. So restoration here is to restore with interest and without haste. This is what God's command is about our stealing. Okay. I, I'm going I'm to fast forward through some things. I just I want to reference this. I think it's on your notes. Matthew 15, 19. Okay, if you want to turn there quickly, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but, but if you want to turn there quickly, I, I will reference that. This is where Jesus identifies that, that a whole series of sin are evil. Evil, He calls it. Matthew 5, 19. I'm sorry, 15, 19. 15, 19. This is, a, this is an important passage where Jesus says this, this whole list of things. Look at it there with me. He says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality. That's bad stuff. Murder, adultery, pornea, and theft. Theft. It's a big deal to God. One more place. We're going to stay there the rest of our, our time together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll hold there, so you should turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Not only is this thing wrong because God has said it was wrong and it violates His character, and it is evil, but I want you to see in verse 9 and following what it says about a man or a woman. This is heavy, but it's important. And there is good news. Verse 9. Or do you not know? Are you in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians? Verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. This is all a list of bad things. Things that we throw rocks at. Things that we, we want to change election results over. It's so bad that we... We're ready to go there. But look what's next. Nor thieves. And Leviticus told us that just negligence is thievery. Simply taking the dollar fifty-eight for the coffee is thievery. But what this is telling us is, it is indication, the willingness to cherish that sin. That's what the verb tense here of these, of these words, the tense of these words, is that this is a sin that is practiced and held on to. These are present tense. So it isn't I used someone's tool once and didn't return it. It isn't I stole one time and, and you know that was then and this is now. This is something that I am. I am a thief because I continue to steal. I am an adulterer because I continue to pursue adultery. I am a practicing homosexual because I, pretend, I continue to practice that. These things are not 
demonstration of God's Spirit in a person. That's why it says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. But look where we go. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. These people who practice this, I say cherish this. Please understand what this word means. They cherish it. It means they don't do this thing and then repent and turn from it. They do this thing and they defend it. They love it. They cherish it. They honor it. They want it. They continue it. It is theirs and they are described by it. I am a thief. And I'm not changing it. I'm not changing it. They've done me dirty too often. They owe me this. I'm taking it. That's a cherished sin. It's a common cherished sin. It's a cherished sin that they make movies about. We're going to steal this. We're going to rob this bank. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to take this money. We're going to, we're going to work this system. We're going, to, we're going to cheat at this gambling associated place. We're going to, all these things. Movies are made about this. Cherished. Verse 11. Please, if you are awake, I need you to wake up right now. Please. Verse 11. And such were some of you. This is the Gospel. Such were some of you. What do we do with the thief? What do we do with the thief? We bring him to the cross. We bring him to the cross. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you have changed. God has changed you. How has He changed you? Look what it says. But you were washed. You know what washing means? Washing means to be made pure. It's about a new feeling. It's about removing the guilt. If you're in Christ today, God washes you in His Son. And the guilt is gone. The guilt is gone. You know, I know this thing might be in your past, but you are washed if you are in Christ and the guilt is gone. If you are, if you are in Christ, you are not an adulterer if you've turned from that and repented from it. You've been washed from that. You are not a homosexual if you turn from that and have turned to Christ. You've been washed of that. You are not a thief. You are not a swindler. You've been washed of that. It's a new feeling now. It's about our feeling of feeling forgiven. Forgiven. I have no guilt about those M&Ms. Not a bit. Not because it was 30 years ago. Not because my parents paid the bill and forgave me. No. That's been washed. It's been washed. But that's not it. That's not it. Look what else it says. You were washed. You were sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. It means to be made holy. You know what this means? That God has removed the power of thievery. This is what we do with a thief. We remove the power of thievery. When you've been sanctified, you don't have to keep stealing anymore. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's what the word sanctified means. It means to be made holy. You do not have to do that. You are not addicted to thievery. You are not addicted to pornography. You are not addicted to sex with that woman. You are not addicted to these things. You are not just a gossiper. You do not just have a bad temper. You do not just hit her. No! 
If you are in Christ, you have been sanctified. The washed is a new feeling. The sanctified is a new behavior in Christ. Can I tell you this though? And many of us know this. Many of us know, many of us know this. The, we, we receive initial break with sin. When you came to Christ, boom! Break with sin. Right? And then if we feed it, if we feed that thing, we can, we can stir up a hunger for it again. So you've got to guard it. You've got to guard this new power against sin because you can, you can push it down. I know. Break today again. Break today again. Again. And then guard it. And then lastly, lastly, but you were justified. You know what this is? This is a new standing with God. This is a new standing with God. You've been made righteous. This is, a, this is like a, a court of law now says, I've looked at your details, I've, I've seen the, the details of your case, and I declare you righteous. New standing. See what God has done for the thief who comes to Christ? He says, I give you a new feeling. You don't have to feel guilt. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God says, you are my child. Come here. I know you took the M&M's. I know. I died for that sin. I know. Come here. New feeling. I give you a new power. I sanctify you. You don't have to keep stealing. No. You don't have to keep doing this thing. I give you a new power. Because I've given you a new standing. And the standing is you are a son of Christ. If this is true of you, not if you're good, not if you're honest, not if you follow the Ten Commandments. That's not the if I mean. The if is have you turned to Christ and received what He's done? If you have, you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. We are His children. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the new man that You make us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, the old is gone. All things have been made new. That's Your Word, Lord. That's Your Word. God, as new creatures today, we sit here now grateful for Your love, grateful for Your forgiveness, grateful for our new standing, our new power, our new feeling of forgiveness. Pray for anyone here, Lord, that, that stealing is a struggle. It's a learned behavior. We get used to it. Give us a radical trust in You that You have given us all that we need and there's no need for us to grab the steering wheel any longer, but to walk by faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.